We want to place our hearts in your hands. You've done so much for us, Lord. You've moved us on so much. You've brought so much change and transformation to our hearts already. But Lord, we, we know there's more. And we know it's for our good. And we know it's for your glory. And we'll know, we'll see the fruit of it on this earth in our day. So have your way. We open our hearts towards you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God is calling us to be prepared. It's been the theme of this preaching series. And one of the prophetic words that came to us back in July, which we've used that really as resource and inspiration for this preaching series, says this, God's calling us to be prepared to soften our hearts and be kinder and more loving than ever before. And we've looked at loving others over the last number of weeks. We've looked at the, uh, the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan, as it's known. We've looked at uh, praying and caring, and we will look at sharing for others. So this is our topic, but I do feel that this morning, God wants to work on our hearts. It's connected, it's complementary to all that we've already been looking at, but I trust uh, it will enable God to go deeper with us. You know, God, our hearts are God's project. They've been his project all along. And our hearts are still his project. And we need him to perform heart surgery on us. He's got the skill. He's got the expertise. He's got the care and attention to detail. He knows what he's doing. And we need to allow him to make us softer and kinder and more loving to other people. Just a few verses just to highlight the importance of our hearts. When uh, God chose David, the youngest of Jesse's sons, to be king, he said to Samuel, who was to anoint him, you know, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. There we are. And we may feel comforted by that a little bit. Oh, good. God doesn't look at the outward appearance. It's quite helpful for people who feel a little bit unattractive and not very clever like me. Oh, God, you're not looking on the outside. Thank you. You're looking on the inside. But then he said, oh, he's looking on the inside. Wow. He sees everything. He sees what's going on. He sees all of it in the core of my being. If we use the heart like that, don't we, metaphorically, to uh, refer to the very center of who we are, a very base, our, our core personhood, if you like. When Jesus was explaining the Ten Commandments in his Sermon on the Mount, he, he lifted the lid on the human heart. For example, in Matthew 5, we read, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He wasn't just looking at the behaviors. He's lifting the lid on the heart because the heart, is where sin has sprung from and is the separation that we've experienced from God that has followed. Yet, it's our heart response to Jesus Christ who we've been singing about and remembering this morning, the living one who's come out from the tomb. It's our response to him in our hearts that has determined whether or not we're saved. Are you saved this morning? 
Well, it's based on this, as Paul expresses in Romans 10. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe, where? In your heart that God raised him from the dead. As that interpretation we had earlier in our worship reminded us that he raised him. Do you believe that in your heart? If you do, then you're saved. Then you're saved. You're saved. It's the seat of faith is our heart. And uh, God then performed a heart transplant on us. As promised in Ezekiel 36, he said, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. He's done that. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, in his resurrection, he's done that. He's given you a new heart and a new spirit, a heart of flesh, of softness. But he's still got some things to do. He's still looking to rewire some of our ways in our hearts. So this morning, we're going to look at these three words, these three characteristics of being softer, of being kinder, of being more loving to one another. That's how God has expressed it to us. It will do well for us to unpack that a little bit. And it may be a little bit uh, scatty uh, for me, but we're going to look at each of those themes in turn. And for each one, I've got a theme to look at, which may help some of you. I've got a story of what God's doing in my own life, which may help None of you, but it will help me. And uh, uh, I want to bring you a Bible passage, a short one for each one. I've been poking my nose prayerfully around the Bible. That's what Bible study is, really, just to blow the myth. It's poking your nose around the Bible prayerfully. And I feel God's just highlighted a few things to us. And then something to learn, something to take away from those Bible passages. That's what we're going to do this morning. You up for that? Yeah, okay, thank you very much. Humoring me again. Okay, let's look at this uh, word softer. And uh, the theme is activation because it rhymes with the other two themes I've got in a minute. Um, But also (laughs) because I feel there's something. God wants to activate us. He wants us to be active in our faith. He wants our, our obedience to be active. He wants us to be doers of the word. And I'll tell you why and how it's related to softness. Uh, God's been working on me, and I'm going to share some of the things he's been speaking to me about. I was walking the other week, as I do sometimes, around Ashdown Forest. Anyone like Ashdown Forest? Lovely place to go and walk, eh? And it it was one of those crisp autumnal mornings. The the mist was lifting, and the sun was penetrating. It was was chilly, but you were wrapped up, and you were okay. You know, lovely morning. And I was in the wildest bit I could get to from the car park in a few minutes. Uh, And then, in the mist... I saw the hound of Ashdown. No, uh, this dog running towards me. Just this unattended dog rushing towards me. And I thought, that's a Doberman, I thought to myself, uh, knowing a little bit about dogs. It was small, it was white, it was fluffy. So it must have been a Doberman. No, it was a, it was a bit, it was a, next chart. It was a bit like, thank you, you're down here, aren't you? It was a bit like him running towards me. Now, um, I was a bit nervous about this dog, as I am a little bit about untamed dogs I don't know very well. Uh, But I managed to navigate the unwelcomed interest of this hound, because it always sounds worse when it's a hound, doesn't it? Uh, You know, like it's Sherlock Holmes. And uh, 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 even when I heard this shout from somewhere in the mist, he won't hurt you! I thought, I assumed she was talking to me, but (laughs) she may have been talking to this dog. And... (laughs) I just thought afterwards, you know, I, I, I took some relief from that, but maybe I shouldn't. And, uh, and, then, and, then, and then the dog ran off, uh, and the owner came past, and I, I completely blanked them. Completely. 
even when she drew level to me and said, in a very polite manner, hello, blank, no, nothing, nothing. I mean, she could, she, there was nobody else around. You know, she, either me or the dog she was talking to, and I think she knew the dog, so I think it was me. And I carried on in my prayer walking type way for a little while, because I had an agenda to get through in prayer. And then, on a few yards later, I no, hold on a minute. <laughs> I think it's a God moment. I think maybe he wants to highlight something. Because I knew if there's two types of people that I'm not particularly gracious towards, it's telephone customer service representatives when I'm trying to arrange some insurance or some utilities. Uh, my children would tell you. And uh, I'm improving that one as well. Uh, and untamed dog walkers. Not every dog walker but one who clearly has, you know, you know off-the-leash kind of approach uh, to their dog walking when they may be a little bit big and uh, with teeth this long. Well, uh, well, you know, that long. It was that big, wasn't it? And, uh, and I knew, oh, yes, I, God, maybe there's something you want to speak to me about in this one. So I did. I, re I repented of my lack of politeness. I committed myself to being a bit more friendly to God owners I come across, because lo and behold, I go for walks in the countryside. It's going to happen again, as it does. Actually, they look at me a bit weird, because I haven't got a dog. They're almost like, is there a phone number to phone when there's a strange middle-aged man walking around the woods early in the morning with no dog? It's a little bit odd around here, but I, I'm getting away with it so far. And, um, and I, so, oh, I thought, Lord, but, but there's something more, isn't there? Why, why did I react like that? Why, why was there no smile? Why was there no eye contact? I, I like a bit of that. I'm okay with that. Why did I not extend any friendship uh, gesture to this, to this dog owner? And the Lord reminded me, actually took me back in memories, if you like, to when my children were young. And we would go to the park like you do, and we'd play on the swings. But then there would be maybe some dog, uh, maybe on the same eye level as my little children, who would come bounding over, all drooling, and, you know, the rest of it. And uh, be a bit scary for them. And I'd be a little bit, oh, I'm trying to protect my, you know. And uh, so God's led me to forgive people. I can't remember who they were, what they looked like, what their names were, from 15 so years ago, who may have had that kind of interaction with us. And I didn't appreciate it very much. I forgave them for their irresponsibility. I forgave them from any fear that may have been instilled that might have still need time to work out from any of us. Um, but even then, I felt, God, you, you want to go deeper with me. I think there's something else for me. Uh, and what you showed me is actually, Tim, quite rightly, your instinct is to look after, to care for those in your family and your children. But, but Tim, you can't do it. You can't do it all. You can't fully, completely protect your household or those under your care, whoever they might be. Even in the church, you try and lead. Uh, with others. You can't completely protect them. It's a good instinct. But, and so it actually led me to, to confess uh, my attempts to... I'm just keep standing in the way of that, don't I? It's not helpful, is it? Uh, to confess uh, that my attempt to do that and just to commit again my family, my... We're going into the empty nesting stage of life. You know, it's another moment, isn't it, where you have to give to God, let him do the, big, the business with your family. Lord, I commit these to your care. Anyway, the Bible. Let's look at the Bible. I, sometimes when I do my uh, Bible study, my poking my nose around the Bible prayerfully, I, I use BibleGateway.com. It's a great index on the Bible. So I put in soft hearts and not much of anything came up. Oh, no. Well, I'm going to preach on. And then I tried hard hearts. and Oh, there's a lot on hard hearts. <laughs> there it comes. And I've just highlighted this one today for us. Psalm 95, verse 7 starts this. Today, if you hear his voice, 
Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. This was a, oh, excuse me. This was a worship song written, I don't know, 3,000 years ago. And the first half is a classic call to worship. Come and worship God because he's Lord, he's great, he's sovereign, he's creator. I mean, you don't need many more reasons than that. But then the second half turns and the rest of the psalm is, unpacks this reference to some part of history, another thousand years possibly beforehand. And God is warning, come on, don't be hard-hearted. And he refers to these places called Meribah and Massah. And if you look them up, they take you back to the Exodus account when God's people were led out of slavery in Egypt. They were names meaning quarreling and testing that they'd given to the places where the Israelites had visited uh, as they wandered the wilderness, having been removed and rescued from slavery before going in to the promised land. Yet despite the fact they'd miraculously been rescued, uh, miraculously had these plagues that were unleashed on, on the population, and miraculously having gone through the Red Sea on dry ground, they weren't trusting in God in his provision. And they were grumbling, they were complaining, they were moaning, they were rebelling against God, not listening to him, not responding to his voice and instruction. And on one occasion, when they were lacking water and complaining about it, uh, God spoke to Moses and said, go and speak to that rock and water will rush out of it. And Moses went up to it and he struck it with his staff twice. Because that's how God had told him to do it last time. He thought, well, it worked last time, I'll strike it. Now God in his grace still allowed the water to gush out and, and, and water, if you like, the people. But from then on, Moses wasn't able to go into the promised land. He disobeyed. He didn't speak to the rock, he struck the rock. There were some spe specific instructions there. And, and lo and behold, this event seemed to uh, crystallize, seemed to be indicative of, of the people's hearts. And so again and again throughout Scripture, I counted 11 times in the Old Testament, this moment is being remembered uh, with a warning to all of God's people who would follow. And lo and behold, it's even in our New Testament. To Christians, the warning still rings out. The writer to the Hebrews included it three times in Hebrews chapter 4 and 5. Do not harden your hearts, as they did at Meribah and Massa. So I think it's an important one. So Lord, what do you say to us here? What do you want to highlight to us? Firstly, I want to highlight to you that it starts today if you hear his voice. God is so gracious. He's got so much to say. He wants to speak to you. He wants to tell you things about himself, about his plans. He wants to reveal things about who you are in him. He wants to help you understand where you fit into his plans. He's got so much to share with you that even today, you may hear his voice. What grace. Just remember that. But yet, we have a role to play in how soft or hard our heart is. Because the instruction is, don't harden your hearts. So there must be something we do that can either harden our heart or soften our heart. I think this lesson could have been learnt before the people of God left Egypt. Ten times, God sent Moses and Aaron to the Pharaoh to say, let my people go. And accompanied with these ten plagues, frogs, the flies, boils, the blood, all the rest of it. Uh, and I think Pharaoh got it. I think Pharaoh realized his pagan gods weren't cutting the mustard here. That this was the true God. 
The Hebrew God was the Lord. I think he understood and I think he listened. But we're told 17 times that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Sometimes we're told that the Lord God hardened his heart. Sometimes we're told Pharaoh hardened his heart. He had a role to play in the hardness of his heart. We need to allow God to soften our hearts and how we do so is responding well to his voice when he speaks to us. You know, it's like coming to a T-junction when God speaks. It's not a crossroads. You can go left or right, you can't carry on. One route leads to a hard heart, a harder heart. One route leads to a softer heart. Respond well when the, when the Lord speaks. It might involve repenting. It might involve forgiving. It might involve doing out of obedience and love for our Lord. So there we are, softer. Let's look at kinder. Number two, the word that the Lord used in that prophetic word to us back in July. He wants us to have kinder hearts. And my theme here is about motivation. How many reasons are there to be kind to others? You can probably come up with a good list yourself, but I think I want to add one more to it. What's God do doing with me? Well, the other day, I was mowing the front lawn. Because, you know, that this time of year, you want one more mow, don't you? Uh, after the growing season, all that rain, one more bit of good weather, get in there, get the lawn mowed. It looks quite smart over the winter, and, and then, you know, you're not panicking in the spring. So there you go, that's my little world. You know, that's, that's, that's the roller coaster of life, yeah, hold on. <laughs> so, and, uh, so there I was, mowing my front lawn, a little patch, you know, but quite green, looking after it a little bit. And uh, my neighbours returned from a day out, uh, looking a bit tired and forlorn, been up north somewhere. And they said, oh, yeah, we need to mow our lawn. Um, I said, I'll mow your lawn. I felt the Spirit just prompt me to, to offer. I'll mow your lawn. I'll do it now. Oh, right, fine. So I mowed their lawn. Uh, and just as I was finishing their lawn and my lawn, uh, the other next-door neighbours returned, <laughs> and they walked past me. Oh, you're mowing everyone's lawn, Tim. <laughs> you know, we laughed it off a little bit. Ha, <laughs> yeah, mowing everyone's lawn. Um, and that was about the end of the conversation, really. And uh, that I thought that was it. Wonderful, I've been kind today. Oh, I've got an illustration for my sermon. <laughs> and uh, a few days later, uh, God spoke to me as I was reading 2 Timothy 2. It said this, And the Lord's servant, yes, Lord, must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. Oh, that's a great verse. I could even use it on a Sunday one day, Lord, because it talks about not being hard, not being quarrelsome, and it talks about being kind. Oh, to everyone. Okay. Uh, and that word, everyone, just cut me a little bit. Ouch. <laughs> Lord, I think... You want to speak to me here about my heart. Lord, Lord, why didn't I offer to mow the other neighbor's lawn? I think that was a reasonable question. The Lord was asking me, but I needed to ask him as well. What's going on here? What, 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 why didn't I ask? Why? How much extra effort would it have been, really? And there were a number of things that he revealed to me. Uh, partly, I, I discovered I've got an attitude of one kindness a day. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah, it sounds really good when you say, I'm going to be kind to, I'm going to try and be kind to somebody every day. Well, that sounds great, doesn't it? Until you've done one a day. One, I've done it. Picked it off. I'm off. Moving on. Uh, so I felt I discovered that unhelpful attitude in my heart. Secondly, I realized another thing going on here was our, uh, it was quite a savvy kindness. You know what? It was quite savvy. Yeah? 
because I'd, I'd already got the mower from through the house because we've got no side access. I made a mess in the kitchen. I was going to clean that up. I've already laid out the extension cable because I, it needs, I need two cables to get around the front lawn. I've already done that. Uh, and to be honest, I mean, their lawn adjoins our lawn. I don't know really where our lawn stops and their lawn starts. I mean, I might be going over the edge anyway. So it wasn't, I mean, not, we've not got big gardens. So it was little sweat, to be fair. But it was a grand gesture. And they would have been very appreciative for the little bit of effort I gave them for five minutes. You know what I mean? So there's something of that going on here. Possibly as well, the Lord revealed to me. And then the third reason was, you know what? I worked hard this Sunday, Lord. I got up early. I served. Early, 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 early. Oh, get the violins out. And, uh, and we've had lunch, and I've been doing the chores all afternoon. And I somehow have managed to avoid the rugby score between Wales and South Africa a few weeks ago. Yeah, that semi-final. And I, I, I don't know what the score is. I could sit down in the late afternoon and watch it as if it were live with a bottle of beer to my side and watch it not knowing what the outcome was. I thought, this is brilliant. And really, I wanted to crack on with that uh, a little bit more than I wanted to extend the extension cable across a couple of driveways and do the other patch of about five meters squared. So there we go. The Lord is speaking to me. And he took me back to this word again, be kind to everyone. I did object a little bit. Lord, Lord I can't be kind to everyone. I can't, what, do the whole street, do the whole world. I can't do that. There's 25 million households in the UK, Lord. No, no, son. <laughs> That's another thing he speaks like that to me. Uh, I wasn't asking you to do absolutely everyone. <laughs> but he said, he reminded me, you know, you, you, you've been praying for opportunities with your neighbours, haven't you? Yes. And you've had a couple, haven't you? Yes, they've been really exciting. And you want to create a quiz team, don't you, for the upcoming quiz with some of your neighbours? Yes. And you've got the first guy in, haven't you? Yes. And you want to be kind to people, don't you? Yes. I set you up there with two opportunities. It's not everyone. Everyone I send to you, everyone I prompt you on. Anyway, I thought, well, let's look at the Bible as well. It's always helpful. And so I went to the book of Proverbs. I thought to myself, I bet you there's loads about kindness in the book of Proverbs. So I did my BibleGateway.com search. Lo and behold, seven kindness references in Proverbs, I think, on the version I was looking at anyway. And uh, I was reading through them, and they're all the kind of usual stuff, exhorting us, as you can imagine, to do and be kind things to the poor, to the needy particularly, which really resonates with this prophetic word, because it was in the context of those who have little, have nothing, uh, are in trouble. And uh, so I read those, but one of them really struck me. Proverbs 11, I want to read it to you now. Those who are kind benefit themselves, and the cruel bring ruin on themselves. And it caught my eye. Benefit themselves? Lord, is that true? If, I, if I'm kind, I would have thought the person I'm being kind to will benefit. And you're saying, I benefit from... Lord, you better keep that buried in Proverbs 11. Don't let it get out too much. It might, you know, it might, we might get the wrong end of the stick. We might be falsely motivated to be kind to people. And uh, then the Lord showed me, we'll read on. And so I read some of the other ones, and lo and behold, they seem to agree. 11.16, a kind-hearted woman gains honor, but ruthless men gain only wealth. There's honor for those who are kind. I read on, 14.21, it's a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. The needy get blessed, but blessed is the one who's kind. There's a blessing for the kind person. Wow, really? And then look at this one. I love this one, uh, 28.8, whoever increases wealth 
by taking interest or profit from the poor, amasses it for another who will be kind to the poor. You love that. Like God's some type of Robin Hood. He's going to rob the rich to give to the poor. Rob all the money that's come from unjust, injustice and exploitation. And he's going to amass it and he's going to supply it to those who are trying to be kind. God, you do that? Wow. We're like, he's merry men and he's made Marians. Wow. You think we might start this project, we might want to do here, we want to serve there, we want to meet these needs in our community, but we haven't got much. We've got a bit of time, got a bit of energy, but where's the resource going to come from? The Lord says, I will, I will redirect wealth for those who are being kind. I thought, wow, that's amazing. But on the broader instinct, this uh, broad, broader uh, kind of spectrum, as Christians, we sometimes try and suppress, I think, our self-interest. We think maybe our self-interest is intrinsically evil, wrong. But I wonder whether it's, it's, it's in its neutral state is a, is a gift of God, is an attribute of his. Yes, it needs redeeming. It needs changing at heart level. But maybe it can be positive as well as negative. It's echoed really by the well-known phrase, it's better to give than receive. Did you know that phrase is in the Bible? It's better to give than to receive. Acts chapter 20. And yes, some of that may include that warm glow when you give to someone and it's just the right thing and you've really spent some time thinking about it and they love it. That's not my experience at Christmas. They tend not to like my presence, but you know, sometimes it works, doesn't it? Oh, great, wonderful. And you get a glow. I think it may be that, but I think it's much more than that, actually. This redeemed self-interest motive looks beyond the physical, looks beyond the immediate. It goes beyond even this lifetime. It's looking with spiritual eyes. It's looking with eternal perspectives. And somehow, we may just be storing up treasure in heaven. You think, does it it really work like that? Well, I think it does, even at the point of salvation. Submitting your life to Jesus, the risen Jesus, and saying, what your way goes, my way is gone You're in charge. You're my master now, Jesus. That's what becoming a Christian is, saying Jesus is Lord. Because I believe you've risen from the dead, so I'm going to submit to you. You know, that's costly, isn't it? To forego your own desires. And there's no promises of an easy life. The only promise seems to be persecution for those who follow Jesus. You know, when I decided and said yes to Jesus, I was doing it in self-interest. It was best for me to do that. He just helped me recalibrate my perspective onto eternity, onto spiritual things. And by his grace, I've received eternal life. Hallelujah. By his grace, I'm I'm no longer destined for eternal loss and eternal regret. I'm destined for eternal gain and reward. It was the most selfish act I did (laughs) was to respond to Jesus and say yes on one level. There are all sorts of reasons to be kind. I don't want to undermine all the other ones. But it's best for you if you are. You know, a kind heart is more pleasant to live with. You can't get away from your heart, can you? And that bitter heart, that gnarled up, hate-filled heart, that hard and harsh heart, that's not very nice to live with. But a kind heart, I can't live with that. And it's better for those around you. Uh, and it opens up the opportunity, it opens up the adventure that is following Jesus. Seeing what kindness is, he 
provides for you to do. And it may just store up some treasure in heaven. Hallelujah. So let's look at our third one. More loving. More loving than ever before was the phrase. And I really want to talk about revelation. Because I feel the more we know and experience God's love for ourselves, the more we'll be able to love others. It's a simple formula. More of that gives more of that. I was confronted in the the Weatherspoons the other day by a very angry, retired pub landlord. Oh, interesting, yeah. Uh, It felt like a scene out of EastEnders, not that I've watched EastEnders, but, you know, it felt a bit like that. And uh, the thing was, he'd he'd seen me sitting in one of the coveted four-seater booths that you get. You can't see it very well, but there's these little booths, only three of them in the whole place. And, you know, you get a bit of screening and you get a little quiet spot. And I parked myself there with my bottomless cup of coffee for £1.35. It's the best deal in town. You've got to know about it. And I was in, for a couple of hours, I was locked in. I was doing the thing. I was thinking and writing all the rest of it. And unbeknownst to me, for two hours probably, this guy was stewing, seeing me take this massive coveted place as the as the facility started to fill up, people were coming in, coming for lunch, looking for somewhere to sit. Uh, people gathered around small tables and, and trying to order lunch and perch it on that. And they were like, what? And he was, he was fuming. And uh, he did get a bit shirty with me. And uh, I said, oh, okay. What do I do? And uh, I decided, you know what? I think he's right. Absolutely right. I'm being inconsiderate here. I'm being blind to what's going on around me. So I packed up my stuff slowly, put it all away, unplugged, and uh, I went to find him. See, I realized I was maybe a bit locked into my world, not really very observant. Maybe I was. Maybe I did have an excuse that, well, there's only two plug sockets in the whole place, and if my dodgy battery's going to stay alive in my laptop, I've got to be near one of them. No, you're not buying it, are you? Uh, I didn't either. And so, uh, so I went to find him afterwards. I said, you know what? You were right. I was wrong. And he wasn't expecting that because he was still in attack mode for about another five minutes because he wasn't calibrating to the fact that someone might have actually agreed with him. And, uh, but, you know, with my calm and uh, gentleness and with my sincerity and contrition, he, he kind of, oh, okay. <laughs> he let me go. Uh, okay, you know, not like that. There's no fisticuffs. And when I started thinking about this morning, I remembered, you know, John, good old John, one of Jesus' disciples, probably the closest disciple, the closest friend Jesus had in those last years. John, I'm sure he wrote a lot about loving others. I'll read his little letter. It's in the New Testament. And so I did. I read it all out loud in one go. Don't, don't be impressed. It's only five pages. You can do it in 20 minutes. Have a go. And sure enough, John does speak a lot about loving others. Again and again, brothers, sisters, he says, love one another. Children of God, love one another. He's like a scratched record with it. This is uh, the verse I want to highlight to you from it in the middle of chapter 3. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I'm convinced our ability to love is directly related to our experience of love. 
If, if we've been loved much, we will be able to love much. If we've been loved little or know little of God's love, we will struggle to love others very much, which is why Christians should make better lovers. And, and, and John's argument is, and if you're not, then, then perhaps you're not. That's his direction. If you're not loving your brothers, then perhaps you don't know the love of God. If, if you're not loving one another, then perhaps you've got no faith in the one who's demonstrated love on the cross for you. Is his argument. God is love. And if we know God's love, then we will love. And if we're not loving, then perhaps we don't know God's love. Jesus, of course, provides the ultimate demonstration of God's gracious, undeserved, unconditional love. And it's this, says John, in the middle of chapter 3. That he laid down his life for us. And celebrating it, remembering it again this morning, as we should every week. He laid down his life for you. How? By leaving the glories of heaven and coming and living the perfect sinless life that you should have lived, but you haven't and you can't and you won't be able to. He did that. He left the glory for the grime. He left the, d- the divine space to come into the dirt. And he came to take our punishment for all the hard stuff that we've done, that have been wrong about us. He took that punishment. He took that penalty that we deserved. He, he, he took the full vent of God's anger and wrath that was reserved for us. It's the love of God. And putting your trust in that, in him doing that, is the only way to know God, to belong to God, to become citizens of heaven, to receive eternal life. It's the only way. But when we do, then our love for others can begin to mirror, maybe only in small ways, maybe in increasing ways, the love that we have received. We ought, says John, therefore, to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. He he joins the dots for us. You see, loving others is more than words. It's more than platitudes and promises and pity. may start there, but it's got to move on. Loving others involves getting practical, giving up possessions, taking the pain from someone else. Some of us have enjoyed learning about the five love languages of words, of acts, of gifts, of touch and time. It's very helpful tools to help us understand ourselves, to help us understand others, so we can communicate love in the most effective way to the people we want to. But you know what? There's a sixth love language. That unless it's there, unless it's underneath, unless it's the foundation, isn't the love that John is trying to talk about. What is that language? It's death. To love is to die. Now Jesus did it. That's what he wants us to emulate. To lay down our lives, to lay down our preferences, to lay down our conveniences, to lay down our ambitions for others. That's what he did. That's what we're to reflect. We're to reflect it in Christian marriage. Marriage is to be an expression of this for the world to see. It's the gospel in a relationship. It's how families, Christian families, are to be, are to, it's the tone of them. It's to be experienced within the church community. 
that others will see. Wow, there's a love. Yeah, let me tell, let me tell you about the love. This is otherworldly. Yes, it is. And it's what we should be expressing to the world. So as you have heard this morning, God's working on my heart. And it's tough. And it's humbling. And sometimes it hurts. But it's needed. And it's wanted. And God says, be prepared. Who knows what for? But he wants you to be softer, kinder, more loving in your heart than ever before. So as I finish, how's your heart? Are there still some hard, harsh, and hateful edges to it? If so, then let's come again. Let's allow God again to deal with those things. It will do you good. It's for your good and for those around you. We've learned a hope from Psalm 95 that our hearts grow softer as we respond well to the voice of God. We've learned, I think, from Proverbs 11 that our hearts grow kinder as we realize it's good for us and for those we're kind to. And we've learned, I trust from 1 John 3, that our hearts grow more loving the more we understand and experience and receive revelation of Christ's love for us. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Wonderful. Uh, I'll stop there. Why don't we stand together? Firstly, there may be someone here who wants to respond to Jesus and say yes to him for the very first time. If that's you, as we close our eyes, you have an opportunity to do that right now. If you've heard something about him and his love for you this morning, and you want to say, yes, I believe that Jesus, you are alive and rose from the dead. And yes, I, Jesus, want to submit my life to you as my master. And now's the moment. Now's the moment. You're at the T-junction. Are you going left or right? Just echo this prayer in your heart with me, if that is you. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for loving me. Thank you for loving me so much that you died in my place. And thank you, Jesus, that you're alive today with the promise of eternal life, with the promise of the forgiveness of sins. I believe you, and I receive that now. I'm sorry for all the ways my heart has offended you over the years.